Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And first of all, before we start, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's sent me such wonderful messages of encouragement, telling me how much you like the podcast. It's always good to hear that. It's always good to know that you're appreciating the kind of stuff that I'm recording and that you're actually finding it helpful, which is really the point of the whole podcast. It's not just to entertain, but it is also to help you to go out and do property investing. So that's great news that that's really helping. So I've asked you before, I'll ask again, if you get the chance to go to wherever it is you get your podcasts from, from Stitcher or from iTunes or wherever, and to leave a review, that would be wonderful. So in this episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently because I'm going to be talking to Alistair, Alistair Devine. And Alistair is a mortgage broker. We go back a long way, actually. Alistair was helping me to borrow money before the credit crunch. And he certainly knows his stuff. But he's based in Scotland. He's actually 15 miles beyond the back end of nowhere, which is why this is unusual, because I've recorded this over the phone with Alistair. Now, by the way, does it matter if your mortgage broker isn't located either close to you or close to the properties you're buying? Well, in this day and age, it doesn't matter one jot. So... At the end of this recording, I'm going to give you details of how you can get in touch with Alistair, should you wish to. So can Alistair help everybody? Well, I can't possibly say, because I don't know what your personal financial situation is. But assuming it's okay, yes, he probably can. Can he do a great job for some of us? Yes, he undoubtedly can. Is it worth getting in touch with him and asking the question and seeing what he can do for you? Yes, of course it is. So I'll give you his contact details after the interview. Now, one thing I will say is that because I've recorded this over the phone with Alistair and because Alistair is in the back of beyond, the sound quality isn't that great. So I know that. Please don't email me or Facebook message me or whatever telling me that the sound quality isn't that great. I know it's not that great. And I've actually been thinking, should I release this? Shouldn't I release this? But there's so much great information in there, which I think is going to be of such help to you, that I thought, you know what, I think we're just going to use it, because let's get it out there, it's going to help people. So I apologise for the sound quality, Harry the techie guy is going to do what he can to clean it up, but in the meantime, let's just use it for what it is, it's just great information. So go and grab yourself a cup of tea and a piece of cake, and enjoy listening to me grilling Alistair and asking him all the questions which I know that you would be asking him if you were with him face to face. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Alistair Devine. Hi, Alistair. Hi, Peter. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Very well, indeed. Now, before we started recording, we were just sort of catching up on the fact that it's probably about five years since we last did one of these recordings, yeah. and things have changed a lot in the, in the buy-to-let market, haven't they, in terms of mortgages and the way things are done? They, they, they have a, a mixture of good and bad, uh, obviously with a new PRA assessment, I think that's had a, 
uh, a bit of a negative impact for some landlords. But um, generally speaking, the buy-to-let market has improved, in my opinion, um, since we spoke back, back in 2012, 2013. Which is very encouraging. But I tell you what, Alistair, before we actually get into the nitty-gritty of what's happening in the market, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you actually do? Sure. Uh, well, very simply, my name is Alistair Devine. Um, I work for a company which I own called Property Investment Finance Limited. We're a whole-of-market independent broker, directly authorised by the FCA, uh, and we specialise in arranging clients' um, buy-to-let purchases, buy-to-let uh, refinancing. We also get involved in development finance and bridging finance. Um, we're not owned by anybody. We don't have any particular um, uh, affinity to deal with any specific lender. We, we very much offer a whole-of-market uh, service for our clients. Right. And you and I, we go back a fair old way, don't we? I, I was thinking the other day that you were actually helping me borrow money before the credit crunch. Yeah, hopefully I got you a good deal, Peter. You did get me a very good deal. <laughs> well, if it's a big tracker deal, then you're very happy. <laughs> I'm still very happy with it as well. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But obviously, you, you, you've been doing this for some time, Alistair. You've seen the market coming and going and stuff. But yeah. interesting that you say that you think that there's sort of less hope for us yet then, despite all the changes. You think the buy-to-let market is still okay? Well, I think, I think if, you, if you go back to 2009, 2010, the nadir of the, the, the credit crunch or, or the aftershocks of the credit crunch, a lot of lenders were disappearing. Uh, and certainly from a broking viewpoint, um, there seemed to be a, a distinct lack of competition. Uh, and that sort of continued for quite a wee while, um, but definitely in the last few years there's been new entrants into the market. One or two lenders have become a little bit more aggressive uh, in their pricing and indeed their criteria, which you know ultimately will drive better deals for the consumers the more competition there is. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I was Googling this. Google's obviously the font of all knowledge. If you need to know anything, you go on Google. And it, Google was telling me that there's something like 1,400 different buy-to-let products available on the market at the moment. I, I haven't counted them all, but uh, I, I, I would, who might argue with Google, but certainly as, as, as a number of products concerned, there's more lenders uh, active in the buy-to-let sector. So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if there was that many products potentially available. Yeah. Now, as a broker, dealing with people, presumably people approaching you, trying to raise finance all the time, how do you actually see the property market at the moment? Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a split picture, isn't it? I think in the north of England uh, and certainly Scotland and, and, and indeed Wales, I think the market's fairly resilient. Um, I definitely do think there's been a, a negative um, impact to London and the South East, particularly from, dare I say, the government tinkering um, with, I, I suppose, the, the tax relief changes which have kicked in uh, and the PRA assessment, which we'll, we'll probably go into more detail. Mm. That, that's had more of an impact for lower-yielding uh, portfolio owners, which traditionally... Um, are centred in and around London and the South East, just the way the, the property market has, um, has reflected the, the values there are significantly higher um, than most of the country, and consequently the yields are lower. Um, mm. So it, it, there's definitely, from an investment viewpoint, I think the yield return London and the South East has um, 
has reduced over 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 the last few years. Uh, but certainly, the markets in other parts of the country is fairly resilient. I would say. I mean, what what what's your sort of view on that? You've got boots on the ground, so to speak. Have you mm. got any opinion about that? What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, one of the things which I which I'm always looking at is is the home track report. Uh, I don't know if you look at that, but I mean, obviously, home track. For anybody listening in who doesn't know, home track have an algorithm, an evaluation algorithm, which is used by lots of the big lenders uh-huh. for things like their desktop valuations. Yeah. And home track are actually saying at the moment that growth in the north is accelerating. Uh-huh. So, for example, this time last year, growth in Newcastle, because they're very specific, they talk about cities as opposed to regions, they were saying that growth year on year was about 2%. Over the last 12 months, so it was shot up to 5%. And that's fairly typical across the north. So, yeah. yeah, the north seems to be going from sort of strength to strength at the moment. Something you won't actually see reported in the press, by the way. No. Tell us that the market's about to crash the whole time. But <laughs> so, who would ever accuse them of being centric on a certain area, of course? <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it's, but that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, London shot up so quickly after the credit crunch that it had to slow down. It, it, it was unsustainable. And now the rest of the country, I guess, is just catching up. Yeah, it's the classic ripple effect, isn't it? It, it is, and let, let, let's hope um, that the ripple effect from from London, if the London market starts to stall, let, let's hope the ripples don't stop. But yeah. uh, who, who knows? I mean, certainly from a demand viewpoint, I would have thought um, you know, affordability, um, and, and there's certainly no shortage from from what I'm experiencing of people wanting to buy property. Um, so long may it continue. Yes, indeed. Now, presumably. Although you're, you're based up in Scotland, you cover mortgages across the whole of the UK? I, I do, indeed. In, it would be fair to say the vast majority of my clients are actually based in England. Yeah. Um, we do deal with uh, people in Scotland, obviously, but uh, just the, the nature of the population split. Obviously, there's more potential clients for us in England uh, than there is in Scotland, and uh, we very much deal UK-wide. Yeah, and I, and I guess from nowadays, in this day and age, it doesn't really matter where you're based. As long as you've got access to a computer, you can be broking mortgages anywhere in the world, really. I, I, I think gone are the days when you, you have to meet. Don't get me wrong, it's good to meet people face-to-face, and we still do that. Um, but certainly for uh, clients that we've dealt with in the past before, um, everything can be done these days electronically and by post. Um, so the, there's no real need to sit down and meet somebody face-to-face, unless, of course, your, your clients want that and it's, it's beneficial for them, in which case it can be arranged. Okay, cool. Now, one of the things which you'd be asking a client if you met them face-to-face is probably all sorts of personal details, like how much do you earn and do you have yeah. your own home and all that kind of stuff. So let's cover that. What, what sort of criteria are the banks imposing nowadays? And in the old days, they used to be quite relaxed. You didn't really need to have an income. They didn't really care whether <laughs> what you were really up to. They would just sort of kind of chuck money at you. But things have obviously changed over the last They, they, they have indeed. Self-certain, I'm to say, lies with the fishes. Um, I mean, there are some banks uh, from a buy-to-let specific uh, criteria. They do not insist on a minimum level of income. Um, for example, Birmingham Midchart, um, Aldermore, to, to quote two, they don't have any predetermined minimum income requirement for buy-to-let uh, applications. They do want to see an income coming in, and we as a broker are duty-bound to um, verify income. 
but they don't assess affordability against a buy-to-let mortgage based on the personal income. Interesting. Now, it, it gets slightly more complicated if you're what's termed a portfolio landlord, and most lenders' definition of that is somebody with four or more mortgaged investment properties. Now, um, just to jump in there, Alistair, that's sure. something which is quite recent, isn't it, because the PRA, which you were referring right. to earlier, isn't that when this whole portfolio landlord thing came in? Yes, and it, it got quite... Uh, a lot of the messages which lenders have sent out to, to brokers and clients are... It basically goes along the line of, yes, the property you're buying or refinancing must stand up to uh, the new um, interest covenant ratios, which is basically the rent-to-interest uh, servicing um, percentage. But also, and this is where it gets slightly more complex, your entire portfolio in the background must also pass any stress testing which the bank applies. Now, the, the level of stress testing does vary from lender to lender, and it also varies if, for example, clients take out a five-year fixed rate, in which case the property that they're looking to buy or refinance as stress testing can actually be a little bit lower than the um, vanilla vin uh, stress test which uh, lenders apply. Why is that then? Why, why would they make that differential, do you think? Well, I think there's a certain amount of security within a five-year fixed rate, which lenders reflect in a lower stress rate. Um, they, certainly that would be the case for five years, because ultimately, if you lock yourself in a five-year fixed rate, your, your payments are not going to go up. Similarly, they're not going to go down. But I suppose from a banking viewpoint, there's um, less risk involved from a servicing point of view for a longer term fixed rate than say for example a short term fixed rate or a variable rate. Right, you're probably a very nice person Alistair and being very kind to the banks because <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day who was talking exactly about this point and maybe they're a little bit cynical but they basically oh. said well as far as I can see if the banks want to lend any money they've got to kind of twist the rules a bit to, to, to make it work and that, that could be one reason why they're, it, it they're, they're a little bit more relaxed about the five year fixed. And you could be even more cynical and suggest that the banks probably make more money out of a five-year fixed rate yeah. than they do per se a two-year variable rate. Yeah. But uh, not for me to uh, cast aspersions on their banks. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So the whole PRA thing, that, that was the Bank of England leaning on lenders, wasn't it? They, they suddenly came up with this idea that the whole property market was going to be at risk if too much money was lent to the wrong people, and so they brought in these stress tests and everything. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of trains of thought going about as to why um, or, or for what reason the fundamentals uh, were addressed through the PRA. But my own view, I think it was designed to take the steam out of the housing market in London and the South East, where uh, there was a belief that the marking, market down there was being sustained by buy-to-let investors. And that's mm. why... Uh, growth was going at what they perceived to be an unsustainable rate. Mm. Well, it certainly worked then, if that's what they were trying to do. It, it has, but the knock-on effect, sadly, has been, um, in some cases, not in all cases, but there, there has been for clients with portfolios outside of those um, uh, hot areas. Um, we still have to go through the same process to... Um, uh, pass the stress tests, um, not just for the, the property they're looking to refinance or acquire, but also the portfolio in the background. Uh, now, most lenders apply a 75% loan-to-value ceiling, 
uh, and that's actually um, tested against their own internal desktop valuations, which, as you can appreciate being a surveyor, may not mirror the actual market value of the properties. Mm. Yes, indeed, and that, that's a whole, we could have, probably have sort of an hour-long discussion about yeah. that and, and share stories on that. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> I, will, I will say, Peter, sometimes the, the, the desktop valuations actually work for the client's benefit. They're not, they're not always um, negative to everybody. In, in some cases, there's a few positive, surprising <laughs> valuations that come back, so to say. Well, okay, you have got me started. I, I've already <laughs> referred to Home Track, and one of the reasons why I particularly like them is because I actually went through a desktop valuation exercise myself using their algorithm and testing it against a few of my properties, and I actually thought it was uncannily accurate. Oh, good. So I was very yeah. impressed, actually. Well, they, they've got something right, which is good. <laughs> uh, ultimately, you know, just going back to the, the, the sort of valuation process for applicants where they've got a portfolio in the background, the banks uh, will apply their own desktop valuation. But ultimately, if there's a massive discrepancy between what the client feels it's valued at, they do have the right to appeal that and potentially get them independently valued and provide that as evidence uh, as part of an appeal. Yeah, and get a human being yeah. to actually look at Absolutely. the property. At yeah. their cost, though. At their cost, of course. At their cost. Of course. Now, it's interesting, the whole thing about portfolio landlords, because I, I've heard different views on this. The one has been sort of, oh, this is terrible, this has really made things so much more difficult, on the one hand. But on the other hand, I've heard people saying, well, actually, to, to be honest, it's kind of what the banks were doing anyway, because they were, even if they weren't admitting it, they were kind of looking at your overall picture before they actually gave you the money anyway. Uh, through, through the credit scoring process of that, absolutely. Um, we, we, certainly in the past, 2012, 2013, a lot of people um, were being penalized for having um, you know, large number of buy-to-let commitments in the background. So, you know, it's out in the open now. Um, and I, I suppose from a broken viewpoint, it's becoming a more specialized area where uh, people like myself and, and, and other competitors are, are offering a bespoke service, taking into account the new PRA assessment to make sure applications go through. Yes, indeed. And are you, I'm assuming you're having a, a reasonable amount of success with that. Um, I've yes. heard stories that things are turned down left, right, and centre. So presumably you're not experiencing that. Um, no, we, we we do obviously have uh, an element of declined proposals. Um, that 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 will never go away. Being a mortgage broker, it's mm. just the nature of the beast. But um, certainly for experienced clients um, looking to secure the portfolios and longer term fixed rates, um, we, we've had a number of very happy uh, customers and indeed very happy lenders. Um, for example, Aldermore, uh, they've come back into the market with a vengeance and um, they're probably amongst one of the more aggressive lenders out there looking, actively looking for portfolio business. All right. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later and we'll ask you what kind of rates they may be sure. charging. <coughs> but before we do, I know that there is no typical in property, but if there was a typical buy-to-let borrower and a typical buy-to-let lender, what would the typical buy-to-let lender be looking for in the typical buy-to-let borrower? Um, I, it's a bit of a, a bit of a mixed approach. I mean, your, your typical lender will, will clearly look at a maximum loan to value. 
and in order to access what I would regard as competitive rates, you'd be looking at a maximum loan to value of 75%. Um, as, a, as a yield, um, at absolute minimum looking uh, for 130% uh, cover uh, on the interest payments. Now, that changes if the applicant has four or more mortgage properties. Uh, and that varies from lender to lender, Some and, and also um, depends very much on their tax bracket as well. Um, but your, your typical buy-to-let investor would be somebody with three or four properties uh, in the background, um, still working or still earning an income from another source. <coughs> Primarily, um, you, the, the, the initial acquisitions were were based from a, a future planning uh, of retirement. Um, mm. Certainly, that's my experience. Yes. So in, in terms of the lender, as you said earlier, they're not necessarily looking for income. There's a couple which aren't looking at income. So for most of them, if you earn £25,000, you're probably okay anyway. Yeah, it's a bit of a misnomer, the minimum income, because as you and I both know, having minimum income requirements doesn't really um, indicate um, ability to service a loan, because while somebody might be earning £50,000 per annum on paper, they could very easily be spending £60,000 per annum. Um, so, you know, they will factor in um, obvious things like credit history. Uh, almost all lenders insist on somebody having a mortgage property um, owned or having had it owned uh, in, in, the, in the sort of the, the recent past. Um, they're almost always looking for some form of income coming in, albeit it doesn't have to be the, um, a, 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 of a certain level. Um, so really it's those things, credit history, um, income, uh, deposits, and serviceability. Yes, indeed. And you've mentioned 75% loan-to-value, which is the standard nowadays. Now, in the good old days, of course, back before the credit crunch, I was getting regularly 85% because yeah. that was that was fairly standard. There are still 80 and 85% products out there, though, aren't there? There, there are, but you, you will find the higher up you push, as far as gearing is concerned, the, the rates offered and the terms offered by the lenders are... I wouldn't say they're ultra-uncompetitive, but you'll pay a significantly higher rate uh, on an 85 or an 80% buy-to-let mortgage than you would in the 75%. Yeah. Uh, most of the mainstream lenders uh, restrict lending to 75% LTV. Uh, there are one or two who will do 80%, all the more do 80% for reasonably competitive terms. But uh, certainly from my perspective, I advise clients if they've got the ability to put in the additional 5%, you, you'll get a, a significantly better rate um, borrowing less. Right, okay. We'll talk about rates in a moment, but you've just mentioned the T word, tax, and yep. in our buy-to-let world, things changed dramatically in June 2015, July 2015, when George Osborne, bless him, decided that he was going to take away our ability to offset mortgage interest against the yeah. rent when we were calculating our income tax. Yeah. And the received wisdom now seems to be that we should probably buy in a limited company. Yeah. And, and the market has changed again because a lot of the lenders now, as I understand it, are beginning to sort of suddenly catch on to this. It's taken them a few years, but they're beginning to get themselves ready to lend to limited companies. Yeah, I, I think no question that the, the amount of inquiries, certainly for purchases, uh, seems to be skewed. 
probably 80-20 down the limited company route. Uh, and that's in plain and simply down to the recent tax changes uh, brought in, which I think my understanding is they're getting phased in over, well, they were, when they were brought in, it was over a four-year period. That's right. <clears throat> and I think the full impact is due to kick in at year-end 2020, possibly right. year-end. So the, the, there will be um, a, a negative uh, impact, particularly for high-rate taxpayers, anybody on 40% or above. Um, and the, the added complication, and I, I, I'm no accountant, this is just my reading of it, is that income is going to be applied to your overall income with the potential for getting hit with 40% tax uh, on potentially even loss-making properties, which is just bizarre. Absolutely, yeah. I think a lot of, it's a great point, actually, Alistair, because I think a lot of people don't actually understand this. Yep. They think if they're not 40% taxpayers, it doesn't really affect them. But yep. you can find yourself pushed over the line, as you say, and you suddenly end up paying tax on all sorts of stuff which you wouldn't normally have paid tax on. And also, there's other ramifications for you know simple things like the family benefits. Um, mm. If if you're pushed over on paper to having an income over, I think it's fifty thousand, then you know okay, it's not going to make a massive dent in your finances, but it, it, you could potentially lose um, things like family income uh, and also access to um, working family tax credit and, and and other potential benefits which some investors rely on. Um, but if all their rental incomes added on to their overall income, then that can have quite a detrimental impact on, on some people. Yeah, absolutely. So assuming that it's right, and obviously anybody listening to this, you need to talk to your accountant and find out whether yep. it's right for you. But probably yep. for 95% of us, it probably is right that we buy into a limited company. Mm -hmm. Is that relatively straightforward in terms of getting buy-to-let loans? Is it becoming easier? It, it's definitely easier. Yeah, it's definitely becoming easier for the simple reason being there's more lenders offering it. Um, yeah. So it's very much all boils down to competition. A few years ago, there was probably only half a dozen lenders other than high street commercial banks who, who would lend to a limited company on a money-to-let basis. Um, but now there's definitely um, a lot of the bigger players out there. Uh, I, and again, I keep harking back to all the more. They will quite happily do limited company balance let mortgages, Paragon, uh, Precise, and a few others as well. Um, I think what, from a broking viewpoint, what, what I'm really wanting to happen, and whether it happens or not in the short term is anybody's guess, but as soon as one of the big players, the likes of TMW and BM, roll it out to the whole market, then I think you will find it becoming significantly easier uh, and, and more competitive on a buy-to-let limited company basis. Indeed. Now, T TMW did make some announcement, was it, they back in November, that they're doing some kind of limited trial at the moment, is that right? They, they, they are. They are piloting it, I think is the, uh, their term. Um, yeah. They've not rolled out to the full market, so unfortunately, I can't give you any information about that because I'm not part of their pilot. Um, but hopefully, um, assuming the pilot works successfully for them, then that will get rolled out. Now, TMW for uh, listeners who've been around a bit longer than um, than, than, than others will, will be aware TMW used to do limited company buying select mortgages many, many years ago. Mm. So it, it's not something which will be brand new to them. Birmingham Midchars, who probably are the, the UK's biggest buy-to-let lender, certainly have been, <clears throat> they closely follow 
the nearest competitor. So I think if TMW rolled it out and proved successful, hopefully uh, Birmingham Charles will follow suit. Yes. It's, it's hard, as somebody who's a complete layperson, which I am, but it's hard to imagine that they won't, given the level of interest and the level of desire in the market. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, no, nobody can predict what, what banks are going to do, but you would like to think if one of your nearest competitors is offering a product which generates demand, then uh, you will follow that and try and join in and jump on the bandwagon. And, uh, I, I would like to think that will happen, but if it doesn't, there's, there's certainly lenders out there who can offer what I believe to be competitive buy-to-let limited company mortgages without um, going through realms of paperwork. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've always bought my properties into a limited company, and I've never, ever had any problems getting a mortgage. I didn't even realize that it was limited. I just, in my naivety, I just borrowed the money. So I didn't realize it was so restricted. But you, you mentioned at least half a dozen names of banks, and if we really thought about it, we could probably add another half a dozen names to that, that list, couldn't we? So there's plenty of lenders out there, and there's plenty of buy-to-let products aimed at limited companies. Yeah, not, not just traditional buy-to-lets. Um, a lot of uh, clients who are looking at um, refurbishing properties, selling them on, uh, are, are using limited company shells to, to do the acquisition. And obviously the tax benefits from the, uh, the profits are perceived to be better through a limited company than per se an individual who might be a higher rate taxpayer, for example. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. whole different subject, but isn't it? That's totally true. Yeah. Otherwise, you go down the route of paying income tax on your capital gains, which yeah. I think confuses a lot of people. Yeah. Well, that's just the way that HMRC like to play it. Yeah, take you both ways. Yeah. So in terms of buy-to-let, standard vanilla buy-to-let, what, what sort of products are out there at the moment, Alistair, and how much would I be paying for one if I were to take one? Well, if you, if you were looking at your traditional 75% uh, buy-to-let um, product, and assuming you're not a portfolio landlord, uh, owner, you, you can get 75% funding, um, just under 2%. Uh, TMW have got 1.99% uh, product uh, with a 1995 fee. Is that so a fixed or is it No, that's fixed. That would be fixed. Yes. yes. Um, Birmingham Midchars, <coughs> who, who we discussed briefly a few minutes ago, they've got a 75% product available at 2.06% on a two-year fixed rate. Um, if you're looking for longer term, uh, say for example a five-year uh, fixed rate, then obviously the rate does go up a bit. That's purely because the market believes um, that rates are going to move upwards in the next five years, um, which I think is probably a fair shout in the great scheme mm. of things. Mm. Um, you know, five-year money you can get from. If you're looking at 75%, you could get it from just under the, the 3% mark. And indeed, there's one of the, we did one recently through Godiva Mortgages for a client. This product's sadly been um, uh, removed, but we, we got it as low as 2.15% five-year fix through Godiva. Mm. Um, admittedly, that was capped at 60% LTV. Um, but the, the, you know, if you actually think about 2.15% fix for five years compared to rates that were uh, available four or five years ago, then that, that's, a, that, that, that's a really good competitive rate in my view. Well, it, 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 there's, there's part of me which is actually wanting to shout out, that's crazy, because those rates are actually less than inflation. It's almost like free money. Yeah. 
and I, I know. And if you're doing any remortgages, or if any of your <coughs> listeners are looking at doing a, a remortgage, most of these um, products we've discussed, they do have uh, incentives whereby the lender will pay for the cost of the valuation and also pick up the cost for conveyancing as well through their recommended conveyancers. Mm. Um, so there, there, there can be, you know, a fair amount saved up front. Now, lenders do charge completion fees, and generally speaking, the more competitive the product, the higher the completion fee, but that can be added to the loan if required, mm. um, although it's never recommended to add any fee to the loan because, in effect, you're paying interest over the full term. But from a cash flow planning point of view, some clients prefer that, and um, consolidating the fee into the loan is um, considered attractive by one or two investors. Yeah, absolutely, because I mean, if it's a 1995 fee, that's quite a chunk of change to have to find. <clears throat> it is. So anyway, Alistair, you, you just mentioned that if you're not a portfolio <laughs> landlord, what would the situation be if you were a portfolio landlord? Well, if, if you're a portfolio owner, then a lot of the lenders, it depends on how many properties you've got, of course, but um, if we're looking at the larger scale portfolio uh, landlords, i.e. somebody with 10 or more, then the product we are using to great effect with some clients who are concerned about rates rising is all the more fees-free five-year fixed rate of 3.78%. Now, it is a genuinely fees-free deal. There is no completion fee. They pay the valuation, and they also pay the conveyancing. Uh, and the fact that there isn't a completion fee in some product cases could be worth as much as 1% to 1.5% um, as far as the upfront costs are concerned. Now, the additional benefit, and this is why we've used this particular product to great effect, is the stress testing that the lender uses, not just for this particular purchase, but also the portfolio in the background. Um, because um, you're using a five-year fix, the initial stress rate they um, use is, is actually, I think it's 4.23%, and they're looking for 145% cover of that. So it's a fairly aggressive um, stress testing that they use on Demore. And for cases where properties are perhaps not um, going to be able to pass the traditional stress test from some other lenders, certainly the older more one, in my opinion, is one of the most competitive stress testing products mm. available. Right, because 145%, just as a guess, just from having played <coughs> with figures in the past, going back to our earlier conversation, that's probably going to rule out properties more, more southwards than northwards, northwards, you're probably going to still be okay at that level, I would have thought. Yes, um, one, one other thing Aldermore will do, and other lenders, not, not just Aldermore, um, if there's any shortfall uh, in rental cover, they can actually look at top slicing income. So, for example, if somebody's employed and they have uh, a decent level of disposable income, we can actually use some of that income to offset any shortfalls or perceived shortfalls in affordability. Uh, the other thing Aldermore will build in, and they do it through their online calculation, is that they'll build in rent rises, I think it's up to 10%, future rate rises, um, which enables a little bit more um, flexibility as far as hitting and meeting or exceeding their stress testing. That's a very fresh
friendly approach by a bank, actually, isn't it? It shows that they obviously, as you said earlier, they're very aggressive wanting to get the business. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, so one, one thing I should say, the stress testing of the portfolio, um, it, it will depend on the tax uh, bracket of the applicant as well. 145% would be employed for anybody who's a higher or an additional um, uh, tax rate payer. If you're a basic rate taxpayer, then uh, my understanding is they'll use the lower stress rate uh, of 125%. And what if you were buying through a limited company, then presumably it doesn't come into it at all? If, if you're buying through a limited company, the PRA um, uh, criteria doesn't have any impact on the limited companies, so they will look for a straightforward 125% rent cover. Yes, so you're buying through a limited Correct. company. Yes, Correct. indeed. So, Alistair, you, you, you do, I know that you do a lot of buy-to-let loans, but you do other types of loans as well, don't you? Do you do, you do bridging? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Bridging has very much been part of our um, business model because I think when <clears throat> we first met, you possibly um, came to our company as a result of an advert we ran Property Auction News. Uh, now, Property Property Auction News, I, I, sadly, I don't think they're, they're, they're on the go anymore, but uh, certainly a lot of bridge-to-let product can be used to great effect um, if a traditional buy-to-let mortgage can't be um, obtained because it's uninhabitable, for, for example. Mm. And apart from the, the bridging, am I also right in thinking that you do development? We do. Uh, we, we've been involved in commercial and residential development funding. Um, not as not as much as we once were, it would be fair to say. Um, but the recent dealings we've had with uh, Lloyd's Commercial, who are fairly um, fairly price price competitive when it comes to development proposals. But generally speaking, the, the contacts we've got within Lloyd's are keen for proposals um, above. One million. If it's under a million, the pricing seems to be not 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 terribly competitive. You're talking around about the four and a half to five and a half over base, whereas over the million pounds benchmark, then their pencils are significantly sharpened for deals of that size. Interesting, because four and a half to five in the scheme of things is still relatively cheap, I suppose, while base rates at half a percent. Um, but there's obviously other costs clients will have to factor in. Mm. Um, arrangement fees are, can, can be anything up to 2 2.5%, uh, and there'll be exit fees and significant outlays through development appraisals, uh, project managers' costs, legal costs, all, all, all the other uh, fees um, to be sort of considered uh, at, at the point of applying for development finance. But th there's definitely an appetite for it. Generally speaking, they won't go more than 65% GDV, uh, which is gross development value. Um, but the, without question, as long as there's a, a decent covenant in place uh, and the surveyor indicates um, whatever the security is, uh, there's a proven market for it, then they'll certainly consider development cases for either residential or commercial investment. Okay, cool. Do you get involved in things like HMOs? Uh, we do. We do through traditional buy-to-let mortgages. Um, if there are uh, particularly large HMOs, a lot of the buy-to-let lenders have min a maximum bedroom um, that they'll consider for HMOs. Um, but if, if they're five or under, they can be financed through traditional buy-to-let. Uh, the only caveat being all of the tenants within the HMO must be signatories to one lease. 
and obviously if it's uh, a light system. Thank you, Alistair. Speak soon. Okay, cheers. So there we are. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, as I say, the sound quality is not the greatest, but there's so much good information in there that I really wanted to see if we could get it out to you. Now, Harry, the sound guy, is probably going to do his magic and clean that up a little bit, so hopefully it'll be better than actually the draft which I've just listened to. But I hope you'll agree that when you listen to it, there's some great stuff there. Now, if you want to get in touch with Alistair, this is the best way to do it, because what Alistair can't cope with and what he doesn't want is like 10,000 listeners emailing him overnight demanding answers to your very particular personal buy-to-let or lending problems and criteria. So this is what we're going to do. What I suggest is that you contact me in the first instance. So please grab a piece of paper and a pen and write this down because the email address which you need to contact me is thepropertyteacher at gmail.com. Let me repeat that, thepropertyteacher at gmail.com. And if you email me, and if you put in the subject line, Alistair's details, I will email you back. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not checking my email every minute of every day, but I will get back to you probably within a day or so, and I'll send you Alistair's details, and you can start a dialogue with him. And of course, if you want to know a bit more about me, Peter Jones, The Property Teacher, then please come over to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. You'll find all sorts of stuff there. There's my blog with loads of good information. There's resources, both paid for, and some free stuff which I'm giving away, which I think you'll also find very useful as well. So come over to www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk if you want to know a little bit more about me, including signing up for my free newsletter, by the way, which comes out at about 9.30 every Friday. And by the way, for those of you who are already on my email list and who receive my newsletter, of course, because of GDPR, you're going to have to opt back in. Sorry about that. Not my idea. So please don't forget to opt back in. You can go back to my website again. You'll see a link for the free newsletter. Get yourself opted back in and you'll continue to receive that on Friday morning at about 9.30. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Great to be able to pick the brains of an expert like Alistair. And until the next podcast, here's to successful property investing.